Hello, and welcome to the Two Tongues Podcast. Uh, my name is Kyle. And I'm Chris. And we are getting ready to do a second take on our first episode. You got it. <laughs> we, uh, we had a little bit of an accident last week. Uh, I always hear people on podcasts talking about how they started recording one, and they're like, oh, no, I didn't get it. It didn't record. And now we know how that feels. Yeah. You've heard that, too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, you and I did a whole hour of great conversation, and nobody will ever hear it but us. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see if we can touch on some of the things we did last week again. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we will. But um, I don't know. I think a good place to start is, uh, as we talked about, talking about who we are, you and I, and why we want to do this. Um, you know? Yep. Two, two guys, been friends for about 30 years. Wow. Yeah, um, you know, I think we met each other when we were like four or five. You got it. Somewhere in there. Yes, indeed. So uh, good good friends for a very long time. Um, very accustomed to uh, having conversations, just you and I, about all sorts of things, many of which um, we, you know, you wouldn't hear on the radio and you wouldn't hear on TV and you wouldn't hear in a, in a, in a polite dinner conversation. Sure, unless we were there. Unless we were there. Might. Yeah. Um, you know, politics, religion philosophy culture um, society um you know just about everything but those hot those hot topics that uh that generally are not considered polite to talk about and we're going to do that here another thing is a, a lot of these hot topics if you have the correct opinion you're allowed to talk about them in public mm. but if you have a slightly off um off of appropriate opinion on them then you're you know Public enemy number one. And Kyle, who gets to decide what is appropriate to talk about? Let's let's get into that. Well, right now it's Joe Biden. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, who who does decide that? That's a good question. I mean, um, one of the things we were talking about last week, and I was hoping we would get to again, is this idea that we're all conspiracy theorists now. Mm -hmm. And I say that in jest, but really, what I what I mean is. Uh, there really does seem to be, uh, regardless of where you're looking in the in the popular media, uh, one acceptable opinion. Um, I don't know when that started. Um, you know, I started getting into politics about 2006, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. maybe a little before that. And I don't remember it being like this. Um, you mean the hyper partisan, you know, at each other's throats thing? Well, at, well definitely that. But also, uh, maybe even more, um, going to traditional popular news sources, um, trusted news sources that have been around for a very long time, some of which are considered moderate, some of which are considered liberal, and the message is not different anymore. Mm. And it's not even so much of a, of, a, of a message like, here's the facts. The way that it seems to me is, um, here's what's important today, and here's what you should think about that. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know who sets the agenda, but how in the world is CNN and MSNBC and even Fox News now to a certain degree... Um, all saying the same things about the same things. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I was having a conversation with somebody about this type of thing, and I said to her, you know, don't you think it's weird that all of the these news outlets say the exact same thing? And she said, no. Uh, well, I was kind of making the point that um, Fox News was a little bit different, and I guess they are, but anymore, I don't even... I think that Fox News is just as bad as the rest of them. But... Basically, what I was saying is, isn't it weird that all of them, except for this one, they're all saying the same thing? And her response to that was, well, they're all saying the same thing because that's the truth. Mm. Well, that's definitely what they want you to believe. Yeah. And so I want to, I want to take a step back what you said about Fox because I made this similar, a similar remark earlier. Um, I don't think – so this is what I think. I think Fox News um, – and I say I'm focusing on Fox because I can't think of another mainstream uh, out, outlet, outlet that would be considered conservative. Yeah. But, but what it did was it gave you the, the conservative side of what you were hearing in the liberal media or the, or the you know, objective media if there's such a thing exists. But you're also hearing about those topics that might be important to somebody who's more conservative that you maybe wouldn't hear at all on an MSNBC. Um, so that used to be the case. In 2006, well, like I said, when I first started getting interested in this, that was the case. Um, I could go to MSNBC. I could go to Fox News. I got polar opposite views of the same stories, and I hear other stories that you wouldn't hear on the other network. So I was getting things that were, in my opinion, sort of 
both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. I, I, that doesn't exist anymore. The other side of the coin is is well, it exists. You just have to go to other. I mean, you you have to look on the internet basically, right? Or dig into. You know, is that what makes us conspiracy theorists? That we have to digging into the internet. Yeah, that we have to now become that weird reclusive guy that's on Reddit and all these different like, you know, well, what, these various web, um, websites and, and sources that you know are underground. Let's say that's where I'm getting my news now. Is that what makes me a, a conspiracy or us a conspiracy theorist? Um, even I just guess. even just to get the other side of the coin, because I want a full picture. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's like instead of. Instead of a coin, we've got um, that was like uh, the dryer, I think. Yes, indeed. Um, instead of a coin, we've got like uh, one of those D and D die, you know, that's got like a hundred sides, you know, uh, because there's not one or two anymore. There's a whole, you know, a ton of of sides of view points of view. I guess I should say mm, that's actually true. Um, so, I, I mean. I don't know what makes a person a conspiracy theorist. I think, I guess it's believing, I don't know, believing things about current events that not everyone believes. That's why I said I think we're all conspiracy theorists. Right. Well, let's talk about, because I think this ties really, really well into history. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they say that the victors, you know, write history. And and that's true, uh, certainly uh, to some degree. So I wonder if, you could take one um, historical uh, event. You could you could hear that story from the perspective of uh, the winners, and then again, you could hear that story from the perspective of the losers. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a completely different history if you're if those parties were objectively able to write whatever they wanted about it. You're going to get completely different stories about that. Um, but today, just using this as an analogy, we we wouldn't get that. We would get the story. So to your point, you could have an audience of 100 people hearing facts, hearing a story. They're all going to take away a different version of that. Mm-hmm. You're going to have 100 different versions of that. Um, and it, I think we can agree that that's the best. That's the richest way of understanding of something is to hear 100 people's opinion on it or 1,000 people's opinion on it. Yeah, I think um, one thing that maybe people who don't agree – think is that with all of that input nobody knows what to do nobody knows how to take action when you've got all of these opinions vying for which one is the yes. true one but honestly i think that's kind of good like yes. i don't want people to be able to rush to action in my life you know um i'm shaking my head nodding my <laughs> head not shaking it i'm nodding it um yeah i mean i i do i think that that's like one of the benefits of it don't know what to do you, you shouldn't know what to do all the time. Mm. I, you should maybe know what to do for you. Well, you you go online, you get the information that you think, and then you act on that. You don't, but you can't force me to behave the exact same way that you mm. do. That's great. Uh, I, you know what? That's exactly that's ex- you hit the nail on the head there, because if I have to sift through the facts and make up my own mind, um, that's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find the facts. It's hard to analyze the facts, and it's hard for me to think for myself. Mm-hmm. That's true for everybody. It's way easier for us to have a shortcut, which we, in every sort of you know avenue of our lives, people per- look for shortcuts. They want to read the Sparks Notes. They don't want to read the book. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's easier for somebody to to take take a listen to a very intelligent person, a talking head on on the, in, a, in an expensive suit on the t- television, to tell you what their educated opinion is on the matter, and then you no longer have to do that hard work. Yeah. Now, the problem with that is there's only one intelligent mm-hmm. opinion. Yep. Quote-unquote intelligent opinion. Yeah, and, I mean, it does make you wonder, you know, you were talking about how it ties into history and the victors being the ones whose point of view gets remembered. It makes you wonder who the victor is right now. Mm. Who is in control? And that sounds very conspiracy theory, you know, like who are the real people behind, you know, the, in the shadows mm. at the, you know, the boardroom table, but who, who, it kind who, of, it's who, hard to avoid that, that thought, you know? Well, who benefits? Let's follow, let's follow the money. Let's talk about who benefits in this situation. Um, I mean, you know, I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think, uh, one of the things that people do that in the past has 
annoyed me greatly because I do lean, you know, in favor of capitalism, in favor of free markets. One of the things that people do is they say, oh, it's the billionaires, you know. And back then, I kind of would have hated that back then, you know, however long ago I'm talking about. Now, I don't know, I kind of think it is the billionaires. And it's because I've had this, this like a uh, revelation that people can use capitalism um, or, or just use their resources, I should say, to manipulate the truth. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have all, you have a, a you know, you're the head of this, you know, big corporate conglomeration, right? And you have multiple news media outlets at your disposal. They'll say whatever you want mm. because your name's on their paychecks, okay? So that that that's a pretty good way to brainwash people. And, and you know, then you've got – and this is something that we know happens. Trump said that he did it you by politicians. So mm. you're feeding people a narrative. You're also – indoctrinating them in public schools and i mean it doesn't end there i mean you go up to colleges it's everywhere you know so let's talk about that so the indoctrination thing is really interesting and i've told you this story before um but i'll tell it for the audience here so so i was in elementary school uh in the, in the 90s and graduated high school in the early 2000s and during that period of time uh it, certainly things weren't like they are now but i was in those pub public schools the whole time uh, I was in, uh, you know, social studies and history class learning about American history, politics. And what I learned, um, as a matter of fact, was that, um, was that Franklin Roosevelt was the greatest president that ever lived. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it was exactly that way in the textbook, but I'll put it this way. There was a lot more sp uh, space dedicated to Roosevelt and his social policies and um, the message was, and again, I'm go going way back here, but I can I can imagine that uh, multiple choice test that I'm that I'm taking. That and here's the things: Franklin Roosevelt was the greatest president of all time. Mm -hmm. um, he served the longest of any of any uh, president ever for that reason. Mm -hmm. He got us out of the um, Second World War and, and the uh, Great Depression. So so these are all attributed to um, to, to Roosevelt. Um, and the progressive um, wave that started with um, um, with Woodrow Wilson, really, but uh, that that Roosevelt sort of stands as the as the you know the you know the the, the leader of that pack, you might say. Yeah, I um, I completely agree. That's how I remember hearing things too. Uh, FDR, greatest president ever. Um, I think it's funny that. I have heard, it depends on who's telling you the story, you know how we got term limits for president, it was because of FDR. I think right. it's funny that if a conservative tells you why that happened, they're going to be like, it's because he was going to be a tyrant and he was going to stay in office forever unless we pass these laws. If a liberal tells you it's because, you know, he, uh, you know, I don't even know, I forget what the reason is, but it's like they have completely different, uh, you know, the the liberal reason is something good about him, whereas the conservative was some, you know, right. that he was going to stay in there forever. Right. Um, I mean, I've got more of a beef with Woodrow Wilson than sure. I do uh, FDR. I kind of see Woodrow Wilson as the worst president in American history. Yeah, right. I, I kind of see him, like you said, as the person who birthed all this progressive shit yeah, um, the, the big government monster, mm -hmm. yeah. And the worldwide stuff, too. It's not just America. It's like he needed – He, I mean, he. from what I understand, he was like a religious zealot. And mm. he felt he was, you know, put on this path by God to mm. make the world a better place, an American place, mm. you know? Yeah. To force our values on the rest of the world. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, – so do you remember you remember the phrase manifest destiny mm -hmm. learning that so we're we're moving out west we're slowly taking over these uh lands that belong to the natives at the time we're we're growing the american uh, nation we're trying to connect it to the pacific ocean and it was our manifest destiny and this is what i read in history class that we had this moral imperative this religious and moral imperative to go through um, these these savage lands and tame these savage people and give and bring them our civilization yeah. and that that was our divine right, you know, not unlike the kind of medieval divine right to rule with the, with the kings. Like this is how it was. This is I read this in in my textbook. This is how it was portrayed. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that, I mean, it's obvious that when we start talking about that, even just saying FDR was the greatest president of all time, there's absolutely a different opinion to be had. Absolutely. Uh, maybe several different opinions to be had. But I only learned the one. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I wonder, like, does anybody who go through public schools anymore, does anybody have, like, a teacher who maybe, you know, gives them something else, you know? Or do you get in trouble for that and, you know, ran out on a mm. rail? I mean... Did you have one like that? I mean, I had a few good teachers... But I wouldn't, I mean, granted, back when I was in high school, things were not necessarily as polarized as they are now, things like that. So, but now, I mean, I'm willing to bet that teachers keep their mouth shut and say what they're told to be, you know, what they're supposed to say, because otherwise you're out of a job. True. Um, I had eh, one teacher comes to my mind that I had one of my last years of high school, and he was a great teacher, and I really liked him. And he was liberal, as liberal as I can imagine. Uh, again, another public school teacher. Um, I, it's just a, it's just a, it's a frustrating thing because um, because it is indoctrination. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, uh, when we're talking about history, we're sort of rewriting the way people think about themselves. Because I I'm an American, you know, I come from this culture and heritage of America. The way that I l- learned about it, that's kind of how I identify. And now that whole um, that whole message has changed where we're tearing down monuments of what used to be great presidents. We're changing the names of schools of what, of what used to be great presidents. We're burying that past as if we're, we should be ashamed of it. And I don't understand that. Well, I do, I do to some degree. Sure. I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm completely ignorant to the idea that Thomas Jefferson had slaves. I absolutely I understand that. Everyone had slaves back then, though. I mean, you know, it's not, not, it's not a defense of slavery in today's world. It's just back then everyone had slaves, and those were the guys who ended it. I mean, how uh, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I think I, I've got. <laughs> I mean, I've got some serious problems with pretty much all of the presidents. I think that. I mean, I kind of think that they're all murderers. They're all mass murderers, and you know. Um, but I don't know. Well, you could definitely say that about a lot of presidents, and uh, and I'm not talking s- strictly about war, although the United States has. You know, a history of of mm-hmm. kind of continual warfare, whether it's sanctioned by Congress or not. Um, but you you know, you add in slavery, you add in you know the genocide of the Native Americans. You, you know, you, you add in all those things, and you know the um, uh, the, the president is in a position to uh, to do something about that. You would imagine, and um, you know, those were terrible things that happened and continue to happen for all of our yeah. our history. I mean, I don't want to limit it to presidents either. I mean, it's just politicians. And I think when you collectivize a nation, you enable these politicians to do things, you know, and it's not just mass murder in the terms of war or things like that. It's slavery. We're all slaves. We're tax cattle, you know? Mm. Um, We are... You can't, you're not free. You may think you're free, but we're in this big open-air prison. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and you know, as time has progressed, it's gotten more and more prison like, um, but I mean, even you go back to the revolutionary war, right? Right. And we become a nation after that immediately people's rights are being trampled immediately. Immediately. Yep. Um, you know, granted it was probably pretty kick ass compared to how it is now, but Immediately, things who, you know, people who wanted to do things were prevented from doing those things under the threat of violence or incarceration. Right. So, I don't know. I I try not to look. I love America. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm one of these anti-patriotic Antifa types. I I do love America. I think that America is easily the greatest country in the history of the world in terms of, like, freedom and self-determination and things like that. That being said... I'm also not one of these uber patriotic people who thinks that America's perfect, always has been perfect, and as long as we beat the socialists and the communists, it's always going to be perfect. You know, right? Well, you're—I mean, you're a reasonable person. That's a reasonable uh, way of looking at it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I try to be reasonable. I don't know how reasonable I am. I, I mean, I kind of lean towards being an anarchist, which is 
I guess a lot of people would say not very reasonable. Um, we talked about this last week, though. If I could, I don't know, man. So I, I said last week that if I could snap my fingers and have all the government be gone immediately, I would not do it because it would be chaos and very bad for a little while. I, I think that things would stabilize if you get, gave people the right to self-determination. Um, but I don't know. Sometimes I do think if I could snap my finger and just make it all go away, I would. So I, so I, um, so I guess where my mind goes on this, I remember listening to um, Stefan Molyneux uh, back in the, you know uh, years ago. Uh, if anybody doesn't know Stefan Molyneux, um, the great he's, Stefan Molyneux, he's also he's also got a got a very popular podcast and talks uh, quite a lot about about psychology and uh, and, th- and things of that nature. Hard to find now. Is he? Oh, dude! It's, what they've done to Stefan Molyneux is it's awful. Really? We can talk about that. Other, <laughs> you know, they've made it very hard to listen to Stefan Molyneux. Yeah. These, these giant tech organizations. Mm. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, now I lost my train of thought, Kyle, damn it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. All right, well... We um, were talking about anarchism. Oh, yeah, yeah. because because he, he was the first guy who um, talked about it in, like, a practical way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always wondered, you know, like, yeah, you know, you can think about any ideal form of government. You know, you can think of communism that way and imagine it working perfectly, and uh, many people do, and, um, you know, w- greatly wanting that. And anarchy is a, is a, is a very similar idea. It's like a, you know, much like communism. It's a very idealistic um, uh, philosophy that, in my opinion, has so many challenges from the from the real world that I don't know how you make sense of it. And and I and I thought that you know, as as great as it would be to be completely free, that having uh, a, a true system of anarchy would not be sustainable. And S- Stefan said. Well, think it through. You know, what what could we do if we didn't want to force, if we didn't have government in in place to force um, uh, people's behavior to enforce laws? If we didn't have force to use, um, how might we do that? And he suggested that we just have mutually agreed upon contracts. Mm-hmm. And if somebody violates the contract, then they lose their ability to benefit from the contractual relationship. And that might be as big as all of society, your ability to buy gas, your ability to buy groceries, your ability to cross borders. Um, I don't know how you, again, it's, it's, if I bro- broke the law and suddenly I couldn't eat, um, there, there is no greater incentive for me to obey the law. And my, the alternative is for me to be exiled and go find some other place to be. Yeah. And I mean, that sounds like Mad Max, you know, you, uh, I'm saying that being exiled seems like Mad Max. I think a lot of people think that anarchy in general would be like Mad Max. I completely disagree. Um, But I really do think that if you committed some awful crime and you were exiled from a stateless society, what you go to would probably be better than prison because you're just going to have more people starting more, you know, civilizations in the pockets of, you know, they might not be ideal, you know, I might not want to live there, but for a person who's a criminal, it's probably, I think that it would probably be better than prison. So, um, so what the image that comes in my mind as you're speaking is, uh, do you remember Demolition Man? Yeah. Okay, so imagine a world like that, where the people who are um, uh, willing to live uh, together and obey the contracts, and let's just suppose that that world was an anarchy, although it was not. Yeah. Um, that all, like all the, the people, li- yeah, all the people living above the ground and all the people living in the sewers, those people would be the ones that broke the law and had to find their own community. Yeah. Um, so, so that's you know a, a possibility. It's like they're very in a situation like that. In re, in practice, there might actually be reservations of naughty people. Sure. Yeah. And some people might prefer to be there. Oddly enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to people thinking that a stateless society would be like Mad Max, just craziness. You know. Um, I think in a stateless society, you might have things that resemble a state. I think that there's going to be order. There's going to be um, rules, you know. In my mind, my entire political ideology boils down to private property rights and voluntarism. Right. That's it, you know. And uh, I think that you can have an orderly society based on those things. It's just like imagine, and I mean, this is not the greatest example because a lot of people hate these things, but imagine um, a homeowners association, you know, 
you move into this this homeowner the, this neighborhood with the homeowners association you volunteer to obey the rules of the homeowners association if you don't like it you can sell your home and move to a different neighborhood right um so i think of something like that um you know i know that they're like oh well it's people would say oh it's not as easy to sell your house and move to another neighborhood as you're saying it you know as just saying it but in a stateless society without people regulations holding you down on the sale of your house and it would probably be a lot easier and probably a lot cheaper it would be quicker and cheaper So I can imagine anybody listening to this, especially after we use the word Mad Max several times, (laughs) um, imagining a world like that where if there were no government and people were perfectly free. um, Now, before I start talking about this, I do want to say if if there wasn't a government, to think that there wouldn't be hospitals and there wouldn't be schools and there wouldn't be roads is nonsense. Mm -hmm. Because before the federal government was involved with that, there were hospitals and charities and roads and everything else. And the people, the people did that. Yeah. Well, by the way, the people are the government, and we, we continue to forget that. The people will, do, will come up with a way of doing that because they need it. Out of necessity, it will happen. This is where I think a lot of people object. In a Mad Max scenario, the little raiding bands of you know 18 to 30-year-old assholes with weapons that are desperate and never did anything with their lives and just want you know to eat and to get women for themselves and whatever it might be, those raving bands of terrorists... Who's protecting us from them? In a stateless society? Um, a private security organization. Mm, there you have it. And also, I have guns. So, you know. Um, That's true. You know, if I... I mean, I think... You remember the beginning of these riots and stuff, the defund the police, the, the Black Lives Matter riots right. specifically. Um, defund the police was a big thing. And... You know, those riots were very frustrating because a lot of what they were saying, it's like, yeah, I like that, um, but I just don't like the way that you're going about it. Um, yeah, defund the police. Uh, let people pull together to, to to hire a security team for their neighborhood that they can get rid of if they're not doing a good job. Wow, that they can get rid of if they're yeah. not doing a good job. There it is. That That is an excellent point. Yeah. Um. Wow. So, but but you can't say that. You can't make that suggestion without looking like, without being told that you're not practical, that you're a buffoon. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that we shouldn't care if people say that we're impractical and buffoons because, I mean, people are going to listen, you know? Like, if you need to go somewhere and you can't drive, you call Uber, okay? And if the Uber guy takes forever or he's rude, you don't ever have to use Uber again. You can use Lyft, you know. Um, I I mean, the way that people do things now, this theory that I'm proposing, it's supported already by the free market all over the place, Mm -hmm. you know. So I think if we can just make people understand that pretty much every interaction that you have in your life is a voluntary interaction with the exception of when you have to go to the BMV or when you get pulled over by a cop or something like that. Basically the only time that you're not having a voluntary interaction in your life is when you are forced to interact with the state. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I definitely think that, uh, a stateless society, it would take some working out the kinks. I understand that. But are things so good right now that we can't afford to work out some kinks? Mm. So so this is something that um, John Stossel, I remember, said many times. For those people who uh, don't know John Stossel, he, uh, uh, he did man. consumer reports for a very long time. He was a mainstream media guy. And then eventually he had a show on Fox Business. Um, it was a libertarian show, and it was one one of basically only two that were out there at the time, and uh, the one of them didn't survive. So it was short-lived but really terrific. And one of the things he would say is that the states were intended to be um, – what's the word he used for that? Um, now, I'm gonna, now it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, essentially, the idea was that every state was autonomous, and they were able to experiment in government any way they wanted, and that you had 50 – uh, states doing that, they, they um, 
they're all trying new things. Um, they're all, some of them are succeeding. Some of them are failing. And so what you end up having is um, you have an example of states that are doing it right, who came up with a new idea or a better way of doing something that can be emulated by all of the other states. Yeah. So you have these um, laboratories of innovation. That's what he called them, 50 laboratories of innovation. So here we are all practicing our own things. States have rights. That's, that's why. They have the freedom to do whatever they want so we can, we can learn from them as, the, as a union who did, who did something right, who did something wrong, and let's avoid the bad things and let's duplicate the good things. Um, the bigger the federal government gets, and that's been since the 1920s, uh, you know, a snowball, the, the harder that is to do. And that's being more threatened now than ever before, where Big Brother is now um, papa of all the 50 states. Mm-hmm. Um, the president no longer even has to go to Congress, which is the state's representatives, to ask you know, for legislation. He just simply writes an executive order you know, f- saying this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. Yeah, it's definitely not good. And Joe Biden, I mean, not that Joe Biden is, I mean, Joe Biden's worse, I guess. He signed way more of them. But they all, I mean, it really ramped up with Obama, the executive order thing. Right. And I just don't really see it stopping, you know. No. Trump was not any better, really. No. I mean, he he executive ordered the shit out of things. But nobody, nobody put their foot down and said, you can't keep doing this. Yeah. And that's what's happening. Nobody's saying you can't keep doing this. You've got like, you know, I can think of two people in Congress and Senate right now who would push back against that. And two. two. I mean, there used to be three, but one of them just Justin Amash from um, Michigan. He just retired from Congress. So now you've got Rand Paul and you've got Thomas Massey. Rand Paul in the Senate, Thomas Massey in, in the House. Gotta love Rand Paul. Oh, Rand Paul's, and he's been killing it. Over the last like week, man. Oh yeah, he's been doing great. I don't know if you've been. I heard a couple. I heard oh, a couple. Man. I heard his George. You saw the Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos. Yeah, that, that was, was great. That that was the what, what I personally think, and what I can imagine hundreds, um, you know, certainly tens of millions of people across the country, probably hundreds of millions of people across the country, wished somebody could say to the media. And George represents that face of the media. And I'm, I'm saying the media with a capital T because that's yeah. how it feels to me. Yeah. It could be any one of those guys because they're all saying the same thing and, and you know, representing the same thing. And, he, and, and Rand Paul told him everything that was wrong with the way he, he's going about journalism. And that completely encapsulates the bigger picture of journalism in this country. That What he said, George, he could have said to the media at large. For sure. Um, that was an embarrassing little interview. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I, I try to have more faith in the general population, but I think a lot of people probably didn't think it was that embarrassing. But boy, I watched that and George Stephanopoulos is just not even responding to the things that Rand Paul is saying. Rand Paul is saying things like there has been no investigation into these claims of fraud. And George Stephanopoulos says, the vote or you know the states have been certified it's right. all been certified well that's not what Rand Paul said no um you know uh, it, but but it's a talking point that he was stuck on and oh, it's yeah. a great it's a great a great point to to bring up um because it reminds me of the presidential debates they ask they're, they're asked a question mm-hmm. and they sometimes answer it partly never directly and it rambles on and it includes five or six talking points that they're going to repeat over and over and over again for the whole debate. Yeah. And that's what we heard from George. Not a serious t- a tackling of the question, not an honest conversation at all, but an opportunity to make Rand Paul look dumb, which he tried to do. Good fucking luck. Yeah, which he tried to do. And then, and then, and then repeat that talking point. And they know, the pollsters know, and the media knows that all you got to do is repeat those messages enough times and people will believe them. Yep. You know who did make Rand Paul look dumb? Who? Donald Trump. <laughs> Is that I right? mean, not in like a good intellectual way, but you know, when Donald Trump came out in 2015, and then the uh, the debates with all the other Republicans, people just did not know how to handle him. You know, he was m- so much different than all the other politicians that you know somebody would say something to him, and he would just come off the cuff with some kind of like funny line or yeah. something, and just obliterate them. Yeah, it, and it was awesome. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, there's not there's a lot to dislike about Trump. Uh, that's one thing that I definitely do like about him, though. Um, but yeah, Rand Paul got you know 
even if you don't agree with it, you have to like it because you don't expect it. It's like a joke. Yeah. It's like it's like a left hook coming out of nowhere. You didn't expect that somebody in that position would ever have said something like that. And the fact that he's doing it, and the fact that Trump was like uh, direct, so direct, yeah. um, that was it was refreshing, even if it was ridiculous. The thing that Trump said about Rand Paul was something to the effect of, uh, "I never attacked the way he looked, but." I could have trust me. There's a lot of a lot of you know. There's a lot of uh, things to criticize there, which is stupid. It's not you know. You're making you're calling somebody ugly, but mm. it was funny. It, <laughs> it was funny. You know, you know what that reminds me of? So that's in in uh, ad hominem. That's what they call that yeah. atta- attacking the man, which is a which is a logical fallacy. You know when 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 you're having a conversation with somebody and they say something like, "Yeah, but he cheated on his wife." Um, it, okay. you're, you're not you're not addressing whatever the question's about. You're, you're bashing the man, and this is successful because people uh, it, because it's effective because people hear it and and they and they it's just the way human beings are built. We we respond to that sort of thing, but it's a complete fallacy. It, in, in the, you know it's it's endemic. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know we we talked about how schooling was around before we had, you know, a federal government. Well, not maybe. Well, well it yeah, was. it was definitely it was. around before we had a federal government. But um, but it was around in the form it is in today before state schools were getting federal government money. And yeah. it was fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the people who built this country into the amazing country that it is, they didn't go to federal, federal governed schools. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to one-room schoolhouses and things like that. Right. But I think... They weren't even state-sanctioned schools. If schools were going to be effective, they would be teaching people to notice things like ad hominem attacks. Yes. You know, but that's not what schools do, you know? I, I didn't learn that until college. Yeah. I, I, I was never even introduced to that idea. I took a class called Logic in college. That's where I was introduced to that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, have you ever heard the term the cathedral? In what In what context? Um, you know, we talk, and the reason this popped into my head, it's kind of a non sequitur, but we were talking about the things that I liked about Trump. One of them is that he's funny. The other one is that he single-handedly exposed the media for being a bunch of liars. Yes. You know? Um, so the cathedral is, you know how there's, I get a sense that there is a narrative that we are all supposed to believe at any cost. And the cathedral is a multifaceted um, conglomeration of lots of different things that is invested in perpetuating that narrative. So we're talking about media. Mm -hmm. We're talking about public schools. We're talking about government. We're talking Mm -hmm. about giant corporate, you know, like, um, you know, in pride month, Pepsi will have like a rainbow can, right. you know, so uh, things like that. Um, you know, does does Pepsi release a rainbow can in Afghanistan or in, uh, you know, in no. these? Yeah, no, certainly no. not. So that's, uh, that's interesting. So it's that that's a term coined by a guy named Curtis Yarvin, um, who goes by the name Mencius Moldbug. Uh, and I think that's that's one thing that I think is going to be funny about this podcast is I'm so much more of a creature of the internet than you are. Yes, um, I'm going to know a lot of terms like the cathedral and Mencius Moldbug. You know, um, <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you questions about that. But so. I mean, the cathedral is a useful term. I mean, um, in the sense that it ties together all the different cogs that seem to be pushing society in some direction. Yeah, and I and I completely agree with you. You know, where where it falls apart for me is orchestrating it together. Like, you know, I can agree with you that all of those cogs are there and that they all seem to be pushing us in some direction. What I'm not sure about is whether that is like a natural side effect of all those things having evolved the way they did. Yeah. Or if it's intentional and it's like top down from some somebody or someplace. Well, I think the part of the reason it's called the cathedral is the word cathedral kind of gives you a religious um, connotation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I do think that this is a like a religious movement. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, I think that a lot of these people are swept up in like the religion of progressivism. Mm. 
I don't want to stop your momentum, oh, but what I do want to do is, uh, so one of my favorite thinkers is uh, Jordan Peterson, the, the Canadian psychologist, and uh, he talks about um, doing psychology in practice, um, you know, so having a session with a person. And one of the things he says he'll do, and he got this from Carl Jung, is when, when you're having a conversation and something pops up, you get an image in your head or an idea that pops up, that he will bring it up in the conversation in, in, a, in a way that is... Um, just sort of uh, this is what popped in my head so that it, so that it uh, it's basically a way of talking about how your unconscious is sort of populating your thoughts when it, you know and, and how they're connected to one another um, in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily notice and when you said cathedral and then you started talking about the religious sort of feeling surrounding that idea immediately I thought of um, there's a there's a Roman Catholic word uh, that's used in, in well in the Catholic Church um, ex cathedra means from the chair ex-cathedra. You said cathedral. Mm-hmm. made me think of ex-cathedra. Yeah. Then immediately you t- start talking about the religious connotation. So let me, let me throw this at you. The word ex-cathedra means when the Pope says something, ex-cathedra, it means that he's speaking the infallible yeah. word of God. Okay. So he's going to be careful about when he speaks from the chair. But when he does, whatever it is he says is the word of God binding on all Catholics all across the, all across the world, mm-hmm. um, which is very strange. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not a Catholic myself. I don't understand it. Maybe in a later episode. <laughs> Maybe in a later episode. So, so this is the thing. The Pope speaks ex cathedra. He's not to be questioned. It is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about this cathedral. We're talking about big government and the media. And the way they speak is ex cathedra. 100%. Not to be questioned. And that being tied to the religious idea is really fascinating. So I want to talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty, you know, it, it's got a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's a lot of things that it shares in common with religion, this progressive ideology. Um, because some people in religions, you're going to have people who are true believers, who really want they, they find an ideology and they think that's going to make them better as people. Maybe there's going to be some kind of post-life reward and they want to abide by that. Then you've also got people who are going to use that ideology as a way to like hijack somebody's behavior to manipulate them into behaving the way that they want. Yes. You know? That's been done with religions, you know, as long as there have been religions, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also being done with this progressive thing. I'm sure there are a lot of people who genuinely believe all of the progressive stuff, you know. Um, but then there are obviously people who are taking advantage of it and using that mob of people who believe the progressive ideology to silence people that they disagree mm-hmm. with, to shut things down, to encourage more collectivism, things like that. So I'd love to get into the collectivism, collectivism topic, um, but I want to ask you, you, you were talking about how the, the progressivism has, um, the, the idealism, that political idealism has taken the place, well, it sort of sounds like it's taken the place of religion. That's what I want to ask you about. The way that you, the way that you make sense of this is it seem like religion is like a necessary, whatever it is, I don't know what religion is, but whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's very complicated and hard to define. But whatever that is, it's some necessary part of the human condition. Like religion is a part of being human, and if we don't have, if we don't have like an overt spirituality, that we're going to replace it with something. And in this case, it's progressivism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of what's going on. And you look. I mean, I don't. I guess I, I don't know when it started. I'm sure it's been well over a hundred years. It's probably been well over two hundred years. But we've been as the West, not just America, we've been kind of drifting towards atheism and nihilism. Absolutely. And, you know, Nietzsche, when he said God is dead, uh, when I was an atheist and I heard that, I thought it was like a celebration, you know. But really what it was is a, you know, a word of advice, a caution that if we have killed God, then we have to replace him with something. Otherwise, we're going to be lost. Right. Well, that's it, funny because I thought the same thing. I even presented in my intro to philosophy class sort of a summary of um, different religious philosophers. I mentioned Nietzsche in that context, in exactly that context, and uh, the, the professor very kindly told me I was couldn't be more wrong. Well, at least he did. <laughs> then, at least he did, right? Yeah. But the rest of that sentence is that is that 
you know, God is dead and we're never, there's never going to be enough water to wash away the blood. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that, that, I forget it word for word, but that's a powerful little paragraph of writing by Nietzsche. I mean, you know, obviously it's Nietzsche's one of the greatest philosophers of all time, but that, that little section is very powerful. So, so I'll go back to Jordan Peterson again because I uh, absolutely love uh, Jordan Peterson, and he talked about this quite a lot. Um, that uh, that whole that whole existential point that that um, Nietzsche brought up about God being dead. That what he was really saying is that as we as we uh, remove um, kind of these foundations that we used to kind of rely on, things like you talked about, um, you know, individual liberty. Um, accountability, things that are built into our religious traditions and our moral traditions, mm-hmm. that when we lose those things, and, and we're voluntarily losing them, by the way, we're, we're, you know, we're getting wrapped up into all of our progress, most of it technological and social, and we're, and we're thinking that we could throw the baby out with the bathwater. And when we do that, we no longer have any sort of foundation to stand on. And that's mm-hmm. very abstract, you know, not having a foundation. But what I mean is that you don't you no longer know right from wrong there's no longer a good and evil and uh, there's a passage in Carl Jung that, that we were talking about earlier where he specifically says that there may be a time when we no longer have um, we no longer have a good versus evil but rather um, we, I'll read it I'll read it right here it says um, in this way his code of ethics is replaced again we're talking about good and evil being replaced by a knowledge of what is permitted and what is forbidden. Mm-hmm. And so there's very similar ideas, good and evil, permitted and forbidden, but very different statements. Yeah. Um, See, so, I mean, I definitely think that, that that is what's happened over the last 250 years, you know, ever since we've slowly been creeping, like I said, into atheism and nihilism. We have used, we've replaced our religious, you know, our genuine religious you know, scaffolding with this progressive scaffolding, this, um, and, uh, you know, the thing that's really concerning to me about the progressive scaffolding is it does lean so heavily on the state, you know, it, it leans, the state is God, you know, the government is God and the government will make you better. Right. Um, that's concerning. Um, it is concerning. It is concerning. It's like, um, you know, so, you know, you and I are, are we're in our mid thirties. We've been around long enough to have had plenty of life experience. And one of the things that s- seems the most strange thing to learn uh, in my life is that people in all in all different professions and all different statuses and in all different you know places in life, we're all fallible. We're all people. What and and we all sort of fake it until we make it. You know, there's that everybody is starting something new is not good at it. And this goes this goes all the way from the brain surgeon to the politician, and people who are in who are in you know life and death scenarios. Mm-hmm. That 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 these people are uh, just like you and me. Yeah. And and what we're supposed to think that the government, and I and I say that with a capital G, that that is somehow infallible, like you said, like God. Mm-hmm. But in truth, those the government is. Ordinary people, yep. and people like you know, and I hate to say it, but people like AOC, um, who has uh, you know almost no experience in politics. She she was just elected. She had she had no experience whatsoever prior to that, and has had a little bit of time in office. She's somebody who we are relying on um, to to do some good to represent the people, and she's just like the first year med student. She mm-hmm. has no idea what she's doing. Sure. And and there's and this is and I don't want to pick on her. This is more people than we can ever imagine, and more powerful places than we can ever imagine. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that a person needs to be, you know, I don't think that a person needs to start as like a community organizer and then be the mayor and then they become a state senator and then the governor and then finally they're president. You know, right. I think that somebody coming into politics completely virgin to politics is fine. Um, I would prefer that somebody, well, I don't know. I guess my, my distaste for AOC is more ideological. She's very progressive. Right. Um, you know, I don't think AOC's dumb. I think that she's 
pretty sharp, really. Yep. I think that AOC has a lot in common with Trump um, in mm. the fact that they, the, what Trump does to liberals, she basically does to conservatives. Mm. She she gets these conservative people all worked up, you know. Um, that's a, that's a, a great point, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really don't think she's dumb. I think she's got her lane that she stays in. But my point in that was just saying that um, I don't think that you need to have experience in politics to be part of politics. Um, well, my, the, the point I was making is just simply that we, we pretend as though we look at our leaders as people who know what to do, who mm-hmm. know what's right. How many people looked at Fauci over the last year thinking yeah. this, this sure. fucking guy knows, knows what's going on yeah. or doesn't know what's going on? The thing is, I, I really feel like people are fallible. People make mistakes in every, in every walk of life, in every, in every you know, way imaginable. Yeah. It just happens. Um, to pretend like our elected uh, and appointed leaders and officials aren't subject to that is is nonsense. Yeah, it's and it's dangerous. So letting them think for us when when oftentimes they're, you know, they have that less life experience than us or you know whatever it may be, it's a dangerous thing to do. Um, so this is circling back to that individual, uh, you know, this this idea of ind- individualism that I think is really important and that we're losing, you know, s- s- degree by degree. Yeah. That we have to be able to rely on ourselves. We have to do the hard thing. We can't rely on other people, um, you know, without um, without at least taking the the steps to, um, um, you know, to, to justify that to ourselves. Uh, and people don't do that. People just buy in to the party line. They buy into what the talking heads are saying, and I keep circling back to this. It's laziness, and right. that's what worries me. It's it's idiocracy. It's yep. it's happening. Yeah, the problem with you know listening to the talking heads is that the talking heads can be bought. You know, the talking heads are bought. I mean, they're all getting paychecks. And, you know, um, I, I just think that you know we're talking about people governing us, and you know, somebody can be in government, in a position of authority, and be a legitimate genius, you know, like no no criticism for their intellectual abilities at all. But let's say, let's make Bill Gates the authoritarian leader of the United States, you know. Bill Gates, while he is clearly a genius, has no idea what's going on in my life. He's not living with me. He's not paying my bills. Although, I do think that they kind of want to pay our bills in some sense, but... You know, and I can understand why, from his perspective, Bill Gates, he's a billionaire many times over. Uh, I can understand why he thinks, oh, I know what's best for Kyle. You know, if I get to make all the decisions for Kyle, even from far away, his life will be better. Mm. So I don't I don't really blame people for thinking that. Well, I do. I do blame them because but it, I, I, but it, isn't that the height of arrogance? Yeah. So I, I think I think that is what I see coming from the left so much that rubs me the wrong way, and you know, you know sometimes I I don't have the words for it, but I think that's exactly what it is. It's when I turn on the news and I'm told what I should believe, mm-hmm. it comes across as arrogant. Yeah, it comes across as arrogant. Which again, any human being who's talked to you like that is immediately going to want to do the opposite of what you just told me to do. You know, it's not it to me. It just doesn't seem like a good strategy. Um, I. I don't think that any human being who's talked like talked to like that is going to want to rebel because we got so many people who aren't, you know, people who just, you know, are like, okay, that's what, uh, that's what you're right. Whoever said, I can't even think of, you know, a news anchor. We'll go with Tucker, even though I like Tucker for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I would just like to see more critical thinking, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's um there's a, there's a, just an intellectual um, poverty that uh, that it has to do with laziness and it's it's you know we see it everywhere um, you know I see it myself you know it's it's hard um, you know it's doing the hard thing is hard and people don't want to do it you know yeah um, you know I definitely see it in myself too and it's not even you know, like you say intellectual and it makes it seem like, you know, I should go read that book, but it's more like I should do my laundry now, you know? Um, you know, like Jordan Peterson, clean, clean your room. room. You got yeah. it. Yep. Um, 
So yeah, I mean it. It is. I think you're right. A lot of it is laziness, um, and I don't know what to do about that. I don't. I mean, well, that's but that's something you can't solve on the collective level. Yeah. And and so you know, in my mind, that's that's the root of the problem. And all of the politicians, and I mean, for the most part, all of them, um, that th- they think the solution to all of our problems are collectivism. Um, it, you know, if 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 the government was completely centralized and all of the best people were making the decisions, things would be better for everybody. Um, and I, I just don't believe that. I, I think that, that that's the height of arrogance, and that's the kind of thing that will lead people to rebel. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at what's going on. And, you know, it's weird. I, I kind of bounce back and forth between thinking that we are on the cusp of potential rebellion and thinking that all of the rebellion that we have seen in the past year has been intentional, like mm. orchestrated. Yep. Um, you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff. You know, I, I think that a lot of that was to cause unrest in order to sabotage Trump. Um, and I also think that the insurrection, uh, as they has become so popular for them to call it, at, on January 6th at the Capitol, that one even more to me reeks of, that w- That looked like a psyop to me. Yeah. You know, that, was, uh, that looks like it was intentional and that they're going to start cracking down on domestic terrorism now. Right. Um, you know, never let a good tragedy go to waste. Or just yeah. go ahead and manufacture a tragedy. Mm. You know, there was enough protesters there to overwhelm security and and the employees that were there many times over. Yeah. So the idea that some violence and some destruction happened, but the whole place didn't get burned down, and you know no, nobody drugged those politicians out of there. You know, it could have been way worse. And with with the number of protesters there, it, it would have been easy to do. Yeah. So to say that we went that far, that that Trump's um, supporters went that far, but didn't but didn't go all the way, um, to me shows that there were people there who weren't into it. There were people there that weren't following the you know following you know the, the lead of the people who were who were being violent. Yeah. Um, and you know probably most of them because the vast it was, majority because it was saying. fairly limited. Yeah. You know people did die, but it was fairly limited. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have a, I, you know, being a person of the political thought that I, that I come from, uh, I wanted to be very excited about that. You know, people rushing the Capitol. Oh, and, yeah. oh man, that's great. Yeah, it kind of brings to mind images of like the French Revolution, mm-hmm. you, the people standing up against, um, you know, against the corrupt authority. We're not, we're not going to stand for it anymore. We're not going to let it happen. We're going to make our voices heard. We, we're not going to be pushed around. It's a, it was a Tea Party moment that got completely, you know, muddied. Yeah. And I, I have to be honest, uh, we haven't really talked about it at all, but the GameStop stock incident, mm. I question whether or not this is also some kind of um, mm. intentional thing. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. But basically, that's just how I think about things anymore, is when something happens, I can't help but think, am I supposed to believe this? Is this what they want me to think? You know? Uh, and like with the GameStop thing, they, they want you to believe that you've got these hedge funds and they're trying to short these stocks, um, to make a little extra money. Like I understand wanting to make money on stocks that are not doing well. You want to find a way to make money regardless. Right. Um, but the idea that the little guy is, you know, sticking it to these hedge fund billionaires. Yeah, we got to do something about the little guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just wonder if it's not some kind of, you know, um, what's the, like a false flag almost right. so that they can institute more market regulation, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting idea too. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you, well, you're right. I mean, the, the idea of short of shorting, um, you know, when you're gambling in the stock market, and that's what it is, 100%. you're gambling in the stock market, you're gambling one of two ways. Either you're, you're saying the value of the stock's going to go up, and I'm going to benefit from that. That's the long position, buy and hold. Yeah. Or I expect the stock's going to go down, so I'm going to borrow these shares at a low price, wait for the pl- price to, to drop. I'm going to then cash in and replace this share I borrowed with a cheaper, with a cheaper share. Yeah. Um, it's completely legitimate. 
anybody can do it, and the, and and it does allow you to to make money in the market whether things are going up or down. And if you talk to a to a, an analyst, they'll tell you um, that that's a hedging technique. Yeah. Um, if you if you basically buy and sell the right securities, you can ensure that your gains or losses aren't going to exceed a, th- a threshold, either an upper or a lower threshold. There's a strategy behind that that a hedge fund can do, an institutional investor can do with a lot of money, and individuals can do like you and I. To say that there's something wrong with that and that we have to limit um, who's able to do that sort of thing is madness. Well, the, the really messed up thing about this one is basically what these people who are pushing for regulation and also pushing like the app Robinhood, mm-hmm. you know, they they limited, they stopped people from being able to buy GameStop stock and they also forcefully sold some of the people's GameStop stock. Wow. GameStop stock. So basically what these people are saying is these massive hedge funds are allowed to take risks and due to that risk make extraordinary amounts of money, right? right? But small people, individuals are not allowed to do that. Um, and that is not a free market. Not at all. We, I mean, this is going to be probably a good topic maybe for uh, next week's podcast, but uh, we haven't had a free market and we haven't had pure capitalism in this country m- maybe ever. Yeah. So, we, you know, there's a lot of criticism about that. We could talk about that as well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, wrapping this up and tying it up into a bow, um, you know, we, we see uh, the government taking uh, more control over, well, I say more control, but uh, regulating in such a way that they have more control over uh, our ability to invest in companies, um, over uh, how elections are done, over what is considered news, what is considered public venues for news, like, like what we're seeing with the social media platforms being considered a, a public utility. Yeah. Um, we're seeing things we've never seen before. Um, obviously, we have technology and things we've never seen before, but we're seeing overstep by the government in ways we've never seen before, and it's happening faster than it's ever happened before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I think part of it, it's accelerated because just like the nature of technology allows it to be accelerated. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that is probably a good topic for, you know, next week. So, okay. Yeah. So what's the solution, Kyle? What's the solution to all this? Um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it if we're going to put this out for public consumption. Mm. Oh, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> well, this was a good conversation. Uh, I know we were a little bit uh, all over the place with our, with our topics. Um, we will uh, we'll continue with all of the most interesting things we can think of to bring to you guys. And uh, until then, we will see you next week. Later. Later.